0: everybody it's Brian thanks for tuning in if you're ready to buy or sell a home in Pierce South King or Thurston County please check out John Hurlbutt and his team over at Altitude Homes John's an old friend and someone I know you can trust he will also donate $500 to Ben's fund for every closed transaction I know how hard it is to find a real estate agent who has your best interest in mind John can be that guy for you and benefit a great cause to boot Check them out on the web at altitude-re.com slash hb. Again, altitude-re.com slash hb. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. That's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! Hey everybody, welcome back, uh, it's Brian Nemhauser and we've got the Hawk Blogger crew here which we will get back and reintroduce you to because it's been a little while. Um, and um, uh, For folks that are joining for the first time, welcome. Um, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the channel um, at youtube.com slash Blogger. This is Real Hawk Talk. Um, I think this is our 28th or 29th episode, I can't remember, 29th, it says down there in the right hand corner. So. Um We've got a lot to talk about today. Jeff's going to walk us through a bunch of that stuff. Um, uh, I wanted to start off by just thanking everybody. We had what turned out to be a record year for Hawk Blogger in terms of donations that we make um, to Ben's Fund. For folks that aren't familiar with what we do there, um, all proceeds that we get from Hawk Blogger, the website, from this show, from... Any kind of revenue stream we can generate for um, this site, and primarily one of the big ones this year has been Hawkblogger patrons um, over at Patreon, patreon.com slash hawkblogger. Folks signed up, become insiders, they get extra information, they get access to us through a private Facebook group. Um, and for some of folks, we'll talk about in a second, they are part of the ring of honor um, and get some special uh, bonus dibs, rewards for that. Anyway, we set out a goal this year to um, raise twenty thousand um, dollars to donate to Ben's Fund, and um, ended up uh, actually exceeding that. So every year we donate all the proceeds from the site, and then my wife and I, my family, we either try to match um, or you know come close to matching whatever the the readers have have donated. So this year we donated thirty thousand dollars. Total um, to Ben's fund, which brings our total for what we've donated to Ben's fund to over $100,000 over the past few years. And all that money goes to parents of kids with autism who couldn't otherwise afford treatment. And Tracy Schneider um, runs um, Ben's fund. Ben is her and John Schneider's son. And, um, you know, Tracy and I uh, spent a lot of time talking about this. She's super thankful. Wanted me to make sure I passed along her gratitude to everybody um, who could be there. And one of the cool things we we're able to do this year is um, for people that were Hawk HawkBogger patrons that have um, subscribed to the site, um, I asked them if they wanted to get phone calls, tweets, other things from players. Um, Russell Wilson called some folks. You know, we had K.J. Wright and Bobby Wagner. I had John Schneider call somebody and tell them they were drafted by the Seahawks. And I handed it over to Pete Carroll, welcomed on the team. I mean... It was great. So, you know, trying to create a, you know, a Seahawks community that's more than just about numbers. It's more than just about shouting each other down, but, um, you know, actually building a community around a game that we love and a team that we love and giving back to uh, folks that also care about um, uh, sports, but care about, you know, their kids and, and uh, raising them as best they can. So thank you again for, you know, watching. That's a contribution. Thank you for participating in the conversation. And thanks especially for those that have been patrons. Um, it's huge. Um, made a big difference to a lot of people. So thank you guys uh, for doing that. And with that, I uh, thank the, the Hawk Blogger team who helps create content and, and bring people here. Um, you know, Let's start with uh, Evan. Uh, welcome back to the show. Thank you. It's good to be back. It's been a long time since we've
1: talked football.
0: I know, right? We've got a lot to catch up on. And you have some news to pass along as well for people that don't follow you on Twitter. You want to share about that?
1: Oh, yeah. Um, I assume you're talking about moving.
0: To yeah. Arizona.
1: Yeah, I'm going to enemy territory, and I am going to lock that territory down with some Seahawks fandom, and I'm going to annoy the crap out of Cardinals fans uh, living in Phoenix, uh, rocking a Seahawks jersey pretty much 24-7. So I'll be diving deep into enemy territory, and I promise to uphold my duty as a Seahawks fan in
0: how so are you when are you going to get your tips frosted um and start <laughs> wearing visors backwards and upside down is that do you have a schedule for that yet or it's immediately on the schedule that's
1: oh. priority number one
0: okay good to know good to know we'll, we'll you know we'll, we'll be checking in with you and your transformation over time into a bro and in Arizona it's gonna be great um <laughs> Welcome back,
2: uh, Nathan Ernst. Uh, welcome back to the show, dude. How are you doing? Pretty good. Uh, true to form, I am arguing about whether running matters or not on Twitter as we speak. So,
0: <laughs> yes, before we before we came on, I asked Nathan if he ran or 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 passed his way to the show, he insisted he actually passed, which I I I'm would i'm trying to imagine what that looks like um but even then he insists on passing being the only way for things to work so always good to have you nathan
2: i'm always trying to be as efficient as possible so i, I pass my way wherever i can go
0: awesome last certainly not least uh jeff simmons uh, up there in toronto just got back from a raptors game i hear i don't even know what the final how did that turn out
3: it was a pretty bad game to be honest the, the, the wizards kind of melted at the end I know, I know Ben's a big Wizards guy if you follow him on Twitter, so I could take some solace in beating him and finally in something. But the Raptors ended up winning, and they didn't look very inspiring, and it looks like they're lined up to play LeBron in the next round, so I'm not too excited. I'm not going to lie.
0: Wow. Wow. All right. Well, this this isn't a Raptors show, so we won't no, get, no, no, get into it. No, I don't want to get into it. I will say that like Nathan's uh, Rajon Rondo – uh, profile pick is not is not something I'm getting a lot of enjoyment out of as a Blazers
2: fan. Uh, Why not? Why not? What happened? Oh man! What's, what, do you, what happened with Rajon Rondo? Dude, <laughs> did I miss something?
0: He 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 was. Uh... Oh, man, Blazers! I don't know what to do with those guys. Um, they they, they... Trade, they, trade, they trade, uh Dame. Oh, you don't trade Dame. He's yeah. the. It's like trading the the heart and soul. Like he, he's he's not the issue, and I don't think he trade CJ either. Most likely, but I don't know what else they're they're gonna have to do there. Um, they're The youngest team in the playoffs finished third in the West. Um, they had but a like, bad draw.
2: New Orleans, games ahead is, a, of particu- New Orleans is a
0: particularly bad draw for them. They really are. I think that they would definitely would have beaten the Spurs. Um, I think that they would have. Beaten a lot of the other teams, uh, other than the Pelicans team. Any team that doesn't have really good defense player, <laughs> Blazers three strongest spots at center and two guards. So, yeah, mm. it's too bad. That was tough. Sure. Um, to so Jeff, we got so much to talk about. We got the draft, we got the schedule. Where do you want us to start?
3: Um, I know the draft's probably the biggest topic. It's one of my favorite events on the sports calendar, to be honest. These next two days are some of my favorite TV-watching days that go on. But first, I was looking back. We haven't really been on, the four of us, since early March. And on our last show, it was right after the Richard Sherman news came out with the release. He hadn't even signed with San Francisco yet. Uh, Michael trade just leaked out. I think that was a couple hours before our last show. And a lot has happened since then. So... The Seahawks have taken a very different approach to this offseason. It's gone in many ways. I don't think anyone predicted the way that it would go, whether it was getting rid of Sherman, seeing him go to San Francisco. Maybe once they cleared that cap room, we thought they would be more aggressive with veteran players, maybe an Domican Sue or a big-skill player for Russell Wilson or offensive lineman like Josh Sitton. Nope, bunch of short-term deals, 30-year-olds, Blocked a lot of their potential comp picks that were coming out, a lot of guys walk out of that building. So, uh, Evan, you've you've seemed to be convincing yourself that you've loved this offseason. So, why don't we start with this? Let's go overall impression of the offseason, what they've done so far, the players they've brought in. You can look at it from a cap perspective, too. Are you still on board
1: with everything that's happened so far? You know, they've uh, that's a really interesting question. Um like I've kind of written in my articles, you know, in the past few weeks, I truly believe this, this off season is a cultural identity reset within that locker room. Um, I think, I think every move they're trying to make points towards really retooling and kind of relaunching this team for 2019, you know, Cam's probably going to be off the cap in 2019, you know, Earl might not be here. Um, This is really a transition year. Um, I, I, I don't, just like i still consider them you know playoff contenders and all that stuff for 2018 but i really look at this year as a as a kind of a reset in terms of their identity within the locker room and in the players that you know they want in there on that squad and you know they had to make some painful decisions and whether it's richard sherman michael bennett sheldon um yeah i i will highlight one situation i could not be more ecstatic about how they treated the Sheldon situation I think you know signing those two Viking teammates uh, for I think half the cost of Sheldon uh, I think was a brilliant move I, I I think Sheldon obviously you know holds a much higher ceiling and you know has way more potential and is younger and all that stuff but um, I, I thought they navigated those waters really well um, this draft is going to be fascinating just in terms of the you know we're, we're talking about different positions and skill groups they're going to uh target but i'm really fascinated to see the types of personalities they they pursue this draft you know obviously john and pete were talking in the press conference the other day about how they're kind of limiting their draft board and you know and they're not making excuses for certain guys anymore i'm really really curious to see if there's any difference in the types of personalities they you know they pursue whether that be character differences all that stuff so gonna be a big few days definitely gonna be a wild ride um Exciting,
3: though. Nathan, I'd like you, you to, to chime to in because, because you've been one of the more uh, vocal up. opinions about kind of, all, what they've done with their free agent side. It's kind of neutralized the comp picks that were lined up for Jimmy Graham, Sheldon Richardson, Paul Richardson. That looked like an area where they can really pounce on if the plan was to build in 2019. So now that the whole picture is kind of a little more complete heading into the draft, are you still, are you still a little underwhelmed with what they did in that area?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the the overall strategy was the right thing to do, right? Kind of tear down, retool, um, and and try to get uh, healthier in the cap, and and you know, go short term deals and all that stuff. But I think that they kind of lost it in the details um, when they went out and grabbed a bunch of these guys that um, are going to cost them comp picks now right um for people who don't know uh basically it's a it's a kind of a one in one out so um if you lose sheldon richardson you're gonna get some comp pick based on the contract he got um but then if you go sign um some other free agent even if it's shamar stevens um those two cancel each other out um so even if somebody you, you bring something on a one year what's that Can we agree that that's stupid it is, yeah it's not great okay uh, <laughs> well, <they should laughs> but it, i mean but it is what it is what it is right it and is. so it is. we went out and they got some of these guys like and and, and tom johnson Shamar steven john brown ed dixon these are fine players they'll play a role they'll be okay um they're not going to contribute to this team long term um the way maybe a mid-round draft pick might um and, you know, they're not going to contribute that much more than other guys that maybe they could have gotten later that wouldn't have cost against the, the, the comp picks. Um, they also gave some of these guys some longer-term money. Like Ed Dixon is going to count against their cap for a couple of years. And um, I don't really get that. Why did you need to commit to Ed Dixon? I, I get that he's interesting. I get that um, you need tight end help. But is he really that much better than someone that you could have gotten for closer to a one-year t- bet men type deal? probably not. So overall the approach I I was fine with it, but I think that in, in the, the specifics uh, there was a lot to be desired.
3: And Brian, we haven't heard from you on the show since that early March. I might be wrong here, but I can sense your enthusiasm for the 2018 Seahawks isn't quite maybe what it was the last five years. Maybe it's been the, (laughs) I might be completely off base, but, I just get the sense from you—you you haven't been too inspired by their off-season. Am I wrong here?
0: No, I, no, you're not wrong. I mean, I, I'm, I'm of the mind right now that the Seahawks have, um, what's the best way to put it? You know, they're talented enough that they can that there's no team that they should be outmatched against, even the Rams. You know, they should be able to compete in every game when you have Russell Wilson at quarterback when you've got. Um, you know, DJ Fluker on the offensive line. I mean, come on. Um, when you've got you still got KG Wright and Bobby Wagner and Shaq Griffin, and as of now, Earl Thomas, um, and Frank Clark. I mean, there, there's talent there. Um, so this is this is not a team that's bereft of talent, but I don't see, I don't see right now any any path you know no matter how well the draft goes that this team is a contender next year um i have a really hard time wrapping my head around that as a as a ceiling and maybe there are some scenarios but you're talking about you're talking about a lot of a lot of variables following you know falling in your favor um for that to happen like a significant amount in past years it didn't feel as much that way. It felt like if the Seahawks played to their, you know, to their talent, then they should actually contend for the Super Bowl that year. I don't think that's the case right now. I think, I think some of that's the Seahawks, some of that's teams like the Rams getting, I think significantly more talented. Some of that's, I think the 49ers are going to be more talented. I don't think they're quite as great as everyone thinks they're going to be, especially 49ers fans. Um, this just feels like a year that was a teardown to get to 2019 and um, that's definitely not a Pete Carroll, John Schneider philosophy. I'll throw out there that one of my, one of my questions is like, if 2018 doesn't go well, let's just play a scenario where they turn out they're like seven and nine, you know, and they don't make the playoffs. Maybe, maybe even worse.
2: Is there a chance that Pete and John are gone? I think John's on the hot seat. I, I you you saw them go in. They cleared out all their coaches. There's there's two people left, right. That if there is blame that needs to continue to be to go somewhere, right. There's two people left that you're gonna look at. Uh, it's not a Tom Cable problem anymore, right? It's not a. I mean, assuming this doesn't go well, which
0: uh, you know I'm there's gonna ru- people blaming
2: Tom Cable for whatever happens this year. Well, he did ruin. <laughs> All of these offensive linemen for life. So (laughs) I was gonna chip
1: in with this little optimistic spin here, guys. Who has been our absolute nightmarish terror for the past five to six years? His name is Timothy Tom Cable. (laughs) Tom Cable was fired. I just want to remind you guys all of that. Tom
3: Cable But let's just say
2: let's just say it does go bad for whatever reason. If it goes bad, it's gonna there's only two people left to really point fingers at and uh I think if you made me choose today, if I could only keep one, I would probably keep Schneider just because of age more than anything. Um, But uh, Pete's the boss. Um, So unless Pete is planning to fire himself or Alan just comes in over the top, um, you know, Pete went in cleared out of coaches. If he needs another scapegoat, that person is going to be John. So I think John, like, I don't expect him to be fired. I think it's a low probability, but I think John's realistically on the hot seat. Like, in, the, in terms of they need to perform. They, they can't have another bad year. If they disappoint again, if they miss the playoffs again, if it's ugly and there's, like, more weird stuff that we've seen the last year, uh, Johns shouldn't feel super comfortable, I don't think.
0: Yeah, and I think we've got Evan who's got the uh, hot air balloon uh, philosophy that, that basically the only thing weighing the Seahawks down from succeeding was Tom Cable, and they've gotten rid of that sandbag now. And uh, maybe Daryl Bevel is another sandbag, and they're just gonna rise now.
1: You're not wrong. You're because not wrong.
0: they've gotten rid of that, that weight that was holding them down.
1: No, I will. I will. I will chip in on this though. I I, I do agree with Nathan that um, this draft is really, really big for John Schneider. I think I think they've got to get back to their ways. I, what I don't know, whatever they need to do. I, I'm not a draft guy, but they've got to nail some of these picks. And and uh, we we need guys to contribute on day one. You know, we need the Shaq Griffins of the world to to really nail down in this draft if uh, if John wants to feel comfortable
0: in this job can we, I know we're already off the rails Jeff I'm sorry but no no we, I... can 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 we for a second talk about Scott McLuhan because this came up again this week and this is just a pet peeve of mine so like there's this there's this narrative out there that the only reason that Seahawks ever drafted well is Scott McLuhan and one like first of all Scott mcLuhan's awesome we've had we've done a lot of Scott McLuhan like love fest on this show because we all really respect him as a scout we've seen how he's built up a lot of teams he's had a Midas touch like he is great so it's not about that but he wasn't here in 2010 he didn't come until after the draft that was a draft that netted you Earl Thomas and Russell Okung and Golden Tate and Cam Chancellor and Walter Thurman those all came before Scott McLuhan so those aren't Scott McLuhan picks and then Scott McLuhan was around till after the 2014 draft He was. He did 2013, 2014. Those were two of the shittiest drafts this team's had. So if he was such a Midas touch, and like he was the whole reason, like why just why just those drafts 2011 and 12 that were totally about. I, I just think there's a false narrative out there that means like, oh yeah, I forgot John Schneider. He has no ability to do any good drafts or personnel decisions. He totally relied on Scott McLuhan for all that. Where's the evidence of that? Like, can you guys help me out with that?
3: My guess would be the st- because of what happened in San Francisco, the same pattern. I think it just makes it too convenient. McLuhan built that Niners team that competed with the Seahawks earlier in the decade. And when McLuhan left and Trent Balky took over their drafts immediately deteriorated. Uh,
2: it doesn't help that he also then left Seattle to go to Washington and Washington reeled off a couple drafts that were way better than Seattle so there's just a lot of you know I don't I don't know what the right
0: dot connecting
2: clients is but yeah so so there's agreement
0: Scott McLuhan's great I don't think anyone's yeah. arguing that are we also on the same page that he does not get credit for everything that the Seahawks became from a personnel perspective I think a big part of that this- was
3: I think a big part of those drafts were Pete knowing the college players from his time at USC. I think he had inside information. And I think that once that kind of wore off, once his recruiting classes and that kind of lines up with 2012, because that's the four years he was recruiting back. I think that was a huge factor because that's how you found Richard Sherman. That's how you found golden
0: Tate. I a hundred percent agree. A hundred percent agree. I think it's one of the least discussed factors of their early draft success is Pete was, recruiting all these guys he had inside information on a bunch of people and he admitted it he's like we're, we're nearing the tail end of you know you know how much in touch he was with those players I don't think it was as clean as 2012 I think he had some more information 2013 was one of the worst drafts talent wise across the league I mean just look at the fact that the Seahawks have had like almost every one of the top 10 players drafted that year on their roster over the past few years I mean those guys are available because they're just not that good, you know. So that draft was just a loser, period. And then wasn't 2014? wasn't Was that Lockett and Frank Clark? Were they No, two? no, that was a okay. year. That was a- 15. Yeah, yeah. That
3: was uh, a anyway. Richardson Britt. Right, I mean,
0: when- <laughs> Cassius Marsh. Ah, uh, right, right. Kevin Norwood. Kevin Norwood. Yeah. Oh
1: my God. Ugh. Yeah.
0: So I don't know. I, I I think I think that's a good point about about Carroll. I think. McLuhan absolutely was part of what was working there. I mean, there's a bunch of factors there. I just think I wanted to pierce that myth, that, that, that pop that balloon a little bit. Like uh, John Schneider's plenty good at what he does. Uh, he doesn't need Scott McLuhan. to. Mm-hmm.
3: Just... I want to double back on something Nathan was saying because my overall impression of the offseason is just Schneider seems reinvigorated. Maybe it's because he's on the hot seat. The way he's approached free agency has been like, I know that rumor came out from, I think it was Bob Condota. They, they're just leaving offers on the table and the people who want to come are coming to Seattle. They're not negotiating the way they approach the draft board. They're going back to how they, they're taking guys off the draft board. It seems that Schneider's kind of knows maybe it was the Malik McDowell thing or the Sheldon Richardson trade. If you look at the last five drafts and the, the free agency in 2017 with Jokel and Blair Walsh and Eddie Lacy and even Kerry Williams and the Jimmy Graham trade. And there's a lot of mistakes from Schneider. His resume lasts five years. So my question to you guys is going into a draft where they really need to, how, how much do you trust them? How much do you really trust this guy? Cause I know a couple of years ago, this guy was like untouchable number one, general manager. I don't know who wants to jump in here, but the, the thing that I might, I get from Seahawks fans is they don't trust Schneider the way they did even a year or two ago.
2: I got roasted for that by the way on Twitter last year. <laughs> I, what? I just wanna what? point out. I, I said something to the effect of it feels like fans are starting to get ready to turn on Schneider. And if they have another bad season torpedoed by poor offensive line play, y'all are gonna be going nuts. And people got pissed at me. <laughs> Similarly to how people got mad at me for the Blair Walsh thing when in the preseason, I'm like, this guy's not actually doing good. Why are we talking about this? Anyway. <laughs> we're here and like he's halfway like he's kind of legitimately like having to to gm for his job uh i forgot what the question was i just wanted to say <laughs> to everyone that disagreed with me last year what what percentage of nathan's
0: takes are so. <laughs> 100 percent dude nobody's always right we 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 value integrity here so you definitely get credit for those takes though you know we, we, you're you're you know, your Jimmy Graham, fifteen touchdown. You know, that was oh, close. That was close. That was, close. That was close. Close. I don't know, uh, Evan. You, you're you're John Schneider's love child, or wish you were. Like, what, what's your <laughs> take on this? I don't know.
1: I, I I think, I think we're overreacting a little bit. I, I I don't disagree that this draft is really important for for John and the team, but I mean, this is like the first year we haven't made the playoffs, in <laughs> how many years, like. Like the last time we didn't make the playoffs, I was essentially like a six-year-old. Like, come on, it's been it's been a while. Um I, I know there's been some poor drafts. Didn't they miss the playoffs in 2011? 2011. 2011.
2: So that puts you at sixteen.
1: 13? Sixteen. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I, don't me that right. Sounds right. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I think I think one draft that doesn't get enough talk is the twenty fifteen draft. Like they got two really solid contributors out of that draft they got frank clark who's an absolute stud in terms of playing on the field and then we have tyler lockett you know who's dealt with some pretty crazy injuries but definitely has the talent and is definitely good um obviously there's been some rough patches um but i mean p- john schneider's singular job is not just drafting you know it it's extending players it's you know free agent acquisitions which have been rough recently too um my mind immediately goes to the Luke Jokel, <laughs> the Luke Jokel free agent decision. Um, but there's obviously been some good ones too, like the Justin Coleman trade, you know, with Cassius Marsh to uh to the Patriots. So I I, I don't, I'm not, I wouldn't go as far as Nathan says on this whole John Schneider hot seat thing, but I'd say, I, I do agree that this draft is very, very
0: important. For yeah, well, I think it's important to think about it from a position perspective. People get people think about it from a draft year perspective. They think about it from sometimes a cap management perspective, but look, look, I mean, if you look at, and you look at every player that Schneider's added, whether it's undrafted free agents, draft, um, you know, personnel, like free agent signings, cornerback, pretty damn strong. Like how many times have they really missed? Even though like Mohamed Cisse, like looked promising, you know, like th- these guys that they bring in from nowhere that they, they, they all look like they could hang. And that's not just Schneider. That's also a fit with Carroll and what he does back there. Yeah. I think um, uh, you could say linebacker has been pretty good. Malcolm Smith and KJ Wright and Bobby Wagner and a lot of the guys they filled in there have worked out. Along the defensive line, I think they have a pretty good idea of what they're looking for, especially on the interior side. Nas Jones and um, I would say all the way back to Colin Cole. Like, the guys they filled in have played reasonably well. They haven't been busts. I don't think they're, like, super struggling there. Wide receiver, I think, has been okay. Like, I think there's position players where there's real – like, there's consistent strength. And then there's, like, offensive line, quarterback. Like, yes, Russell Wilson hit, but every other quarterback decision they made from the moment they got here back to, like, Charlie Whitehurst has been, like, horrible or really questionable. Tavares Jackson and, like – like that's not a good, they don't, they're not good at evaluating quarterbacks from my point of view. They hit one, but one out of however many um, offensive line been pretty bad um, pass rushers. They hit with Frank Clark. They've been pretty bad otherwise. Um, so anyway, I, I just think that if you look at that, I think there's some trends there that are pretty consistent across all of the years about where they're good and where they're not.
2: So, uh, Sorry, to go back to the John Schneider hot seat thing for a minute. Uh, to be clear, I don't want to fire John Schneider. I don't think John Schneider should be fired. This is a, you know, if it goes wrong type thing. Then I think there's a chance there's going to be talk of Schneider being on, going out and whether he should go out or not. Right? That's a hot take, Nathan. Wait, hold up, hold up. Is Pete
1: Carroll included? This say the Seahawks go say the Seahawks go five and eleven next year.
2: I mean, it, it depends days. on a lot of things, right? Like, why do they go five and eleven, right? Yeah. Um, if Russell gets hurt, then this is all moot, right? But if there's other stuff, then, then it, I would say say that like if they have a bad year and they go five and eleven, I think there's probably like a thirty-three percent chance Schneider gets fired, right? Like, uh, so it's like realistic. I, I don't think it'll happen, and that's if it goes wrong, you know. Um, but it'll be interesting. I mean, I don't know. This, this team's in such a weird position. You could see so many different scenarios happening, and it wouldn't, like, shock me, so.
3: Yeah, and Schneider's, from a pure theory standpoint, Schneider's manipulated the draft pretty well the last two years. Like, he's loaded up on those mid-second of day two picks, and just the execution of those picks has been horrible. Like, they had how many round two and three – how many round three picks last year? Like, four or five? They yeah. were loaded with capital the year before too. They had Riso Diombo and ProSize and Nick Finette. So from a theory standpoint, they're, they're doing the right things. It's just it's a couple things, and maybe last year in the first round, that's a perfect example where they got too cute. They moved down three times, and all those almost every player that they passed on with that second move down turned out to be a very good player. And the guy they got, obviously, it's bad luck, but the. So it seems like John's kind of reevaluating pretty much everything he's done. And that's what makes this draft coming up so fascinating, but just shifting back to Pete, I want to hear your guys' takes on this because one of the most interesting talks around Seattle and almost the NFL last week was that comment that came out from Greg Bishop that Pete Carroll's now denied, but kind of gave us a sense of what's going on with the team. There's that story that Michael Bennett was reading books during team meetings. And I don't want to spend too much time on this, but are you more concerned that Sherman and Bennett have kind of lost the message or are you more concerned that Pete's mess- Pete's given the same message over and over and over and the players are getting bored by it? Where do you guys find that fault? I don't know who wants to jump in here first, but I think there's a lot to take away from that whole conversation.
2: I mean, I, I don't know. I, I didn't hear this specific uh, conversation the, the whole thing around Carol right now, though, with how his, me- how his message changed fresh, how vets respond to his message, it's really concerning to me. Uh, well, I don't know if it's really concerning to me. It would be really concerning to me if I was Pete, right? And, and Pete carries himself in a way and all that stuff. Um, you know, he has philosophies, and it feels like a lot of that has broken down. Um, and I feel like they've admitted that as much. Right. Um, and so I, I don't know what it means like for the team necessarily. Um, but it doesn't feel like Pete has been effective at the things he's trying to do. Um, and hopefully they adapt to that. Um, but it's, it's just, it feels like a failure and we'll see what that means long-term. We'll see if they can correct or not. But, um, I, I think that we saw that Pete just wasn't effective at the things that he wanted to be effective at from everything from believing in, you know, running and playing defense to believing in competing forever and, you know, or win forever and, and all that stuff. it, it just feel like you lost it.
3: Brian or Evan, do
2: you want
0: to jump in on this? Brian, well, I was, I was trying to give Evan a space, but since he's not jumping in, I mean, look, I, some of it's some of it's definitely Pete um but i, I also i think there's something to uh, there's something to when you win a super bowl i think there's people underestimate how hard it is to really build the desire back, climb the mountain again. and they went there back-to-back years, that happened. it wasn't like You know, they lost all ability. And even in 2015, they they were like, they were really humming at the end of the year. They really were in a good place. But it feels like, from my perspective, uh, it's a combination of factors. One part of it is, I, I don't know. I don't think it's about Pete. I don't know that the team had the same shared focus about what their goal was after they won that Super Bowl. You know, you had holdouts, you had, you know, some fracture more fracturing in the locker room. You had players that were blowing up as, as their own celebrities. And I'm not the football player. I'm not in the locker room. I will admit like my whole life I was climbing that mountain towards, you know, a championship. That was like a point. I wanted to have that experience in my life. And once the team won it, I I'll admit here, on the show that I'm driving, you know, part of, I didn't care as much anymore. Like, that, that thirst was quenched a little bit. Like, my passion about it changed significantly. I hoped that it would be like sex. You have it the first time, and you're like, can't wait to do that again. And, you know, but it, it was not like that. And I don't think it was like that for the players. I think that they got to the mountaintop, and I don't think that they had the same unquenchable passion to get back there that they did before. And I think that, 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 that eroded, I'm not sure any, that, that was a coachable situation. I think that part of that is the type of personalities that they brought together. Um, but,
2: but they went on in like those guys that held out, they paid them. Right. They yes. brought those guys back. I mean that it's not Pete's fault that maybe that got lost and, and that happened, uh, but it is Pete and John's fault that they, continued to bring those guys back in and didn't, you know, always compete those guys out the door.
0: I agree with that, Nathan. And one of the things that's actually, I mean, I talked to John about this topic recently and I won't get into specifics, but like, look, I mean, I will say what my point of view was there. I won't share his, but like, th- it was a tough situation, right? Where these weren't players that were, 35 or 33. They weren't players that were kind of good. In a lot of cases, were, these were the best players at their position in the entire league. And to walk away from them when they would have had to walk away, walk away from them, it might have been the absolute right move. But it wasn't even like what Belichick does. Like Chandler Jones was not the best pass rusher, you know, or, you know, some of the players that he moved on, he was not the best at his position. So, I think it was those were really hard calls, and I, I guess I can understand why they made the calls they did. It sure, certainly didn't turn out to result in multiple rings.
3: Well, I think we all know why Bennett and Sherman aren't back. I think I think that's kind of cleared up when we were really sort of confused by those moves when they first happened, right? But uh, let's 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 move the conversation a little bit forward. This is we mentioned. This is a huge draft coming up. Seattle hasn't drafted well the last five years. I thought uh, a Malik McDowell thing was that's kind of showed a lot of Seattle's draft records been out on Twitter and people have been doubting this team for a while. So there's a lot going on with, there's still the Earl Thomas rumor lingering around. That's still unclear. But the big question now, I guess is does Seattle pick at 18? They, they have two holes in their draft right now. They don't have the second round pick. They gave up for a year. Sheldon Richardson that turned out to blow up in their face. Um, they give up the third round pick for Dwayne Brown. I, I, don't, I don't have a problem with that. They need a left tackle so bad. And Dwayne Brown is one of the best part of their team right now. But I know we've had some people who are certain to stay at 18. They got to trade down. But overall, what do you want to see them do these next two days? Maybe these next three days. Because right now, when they were at their best, they weren't trading down. They weren't stockpiling picks. They were just hitting players in different rounds and – they haven't had a position like this probably since two thousand eleven, so with the clear hole in their draft, maybe i will start with you brian what what are you hoping to see just from an overall perspective?
0: oh man, come back to me, I've been talking a lot let's start let's let's start with evan and and uh, yeah, sure yeah I, I, I think I'd love to see them slide back like five or six spots and
1: you know recoup a couple de- a couple day two picks um whether that's a second or third rounder. Um, you know, obviously I'm a huge fan of Earl Thomas, but if Jerry Jones can't quench, you know, just is starving for Earl's presence and he's willing to give up a first round pick and maybe a little more, I think you do it. I love Earl, but you know, those first round picks and just picks in general are so, so valuable in the NFL in terms of, you know, rebuilding a roster from the ground up with cheap rookies and, you know. Club control, that comes with all that. Um, but I, I, I really don't want to see them slide out of the first round. I, I really – like like you said, Jeff, I, I feel like they they just traded back too far last year and missed out on a lot of premium talent. And, you know, it, a lot of it depends on who's, who's available. Um, but I'd love to see them target either a defensive back or O-line. That'd be – two position groups that I would love to see them target early and often. I'm very curious to see what they do with Solari at the helm of the offensive line. What about you, Nathan? Uh,
2: I want to see him move back as well. I I actually want to see him make a bigger jump back. Um, I don't, uh, I think that there's been a lot of talk about this, that, you know, this is maybe about a 15 player, uh, you know, a a group of 15 players that have a, a legit like first round grade, um, and so seattle's obviously on the outside of that um and this is interesting too because it's, it's a little uh, deeper in that middle tier of talent like you can get similar players um from kind of where seattle is well down uh maybe even down into early parts of the third round um and see this is an interesting year too where you've got a few teams who have a lot of second round draft capital um you've got the browns who have like three picks you've got I think Indianapolis has a couple picks in the second round. Um, The Giants have a second and then a couple early thirds. So um, you have a lot of opportunity here to, to jump way back, not, not, not way back, like way back into the, into the second round. I think you want to still try to stay up towards the top of the second round, Um, but, you know, collect two or three picks um, that are good picks and that in this draft are going to be, you know, basically as valuable as where you are at 18. Um, and then uh, there's a lot of options. I mean, from there, right? Um, you've got uh, offensive linemen that, are, that should still be alive. You've got defensive linemen that should still be alive. You've got um, potentially some cornerbacks who are cool, like uh, you know Isaiah Oliver. Um, if they tried to, if they just had to break that trend, um, you've got even options at running back that would sting a little bit what? less. And, I'm just saying if you're going to oh, do it, if you're going to do it, it's cool going to sting up. a little less if you at least move back a ways before you do. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think they've got a chance to jump down, grab a bunch of picks, fix their draft, um, and I don't think it will hurt them too much in terms of the talent that will be available.
1: All right, Nathan, you're on record. You want the Seahawks to trade up for a running back.
2: That's what I heard. That's what I heard. <laughs> That's right. Saquon Barkley all the way. Oh, man.
1: Heard number four is available. <laughs>
2: Uh,
3: it's interesting i was firmly at first on the like do not trade back they need to get a premium talent with all these quarterbacks in the draft picking at 18 i thought there would be a position where a premium player would fall to them given that more or less the 15th best player in the draft but i've really dug into the draft the last month or so and i did a mock draft on hawk blogger and I, i think the colts gm brought this up this week there's really only eight to 10 blue chip players in this draft. I I went through the list. There's, I'd say about 10 that would really fit Seattle right now. But if you add that in the four quarterbacks, I don't think any of them get to 18. And given what Nathan was saying, the the real strength of this draft is kind of the 28 to 60 area. There's a lot of good players It's deep, and there's a lot of areas that can help Seattle cornerback. Interior offensive line, they need a left guard still. Unless we're certain Ethan Post they can play there. Running back, pass rusher, they need help at all three levels of their defense. So I've I've completely flipped my mind. I'm with you guys. I think they got to move back. I'm I, I loved them the pick at the end of the first round, but I think if you can recoup that, teams like when Ethan was saying they have all those seconds. I know the Colts have three seconds. They even have the original Seattle one that came from the Jets in the Sheldon Richardson trade. I think Seattle has so many holes. They really need to get back in that middle. Second and third round area is fill three to four holes because I don't think you're going to get a player at 18. That would have been worth the stick it and not make that trade. The only lever that gives you that other option is Earl. And it doesn't seem like now that Dallas is going to give up that first rounder. I think they want to give up their second and trade pick 50 for for Earl. To me, it just seems like a bad deal.
2: I don't think they're getting a first for Earl, though.
3: No. I think and that's the whole
2: You better
1: not be getting Earl Thomas because Earl Thomas is worth a damn first-round pick. But then they just going not... to let him walk. No, this I I would threaten to tag him. I I hate this idea of, like, just let him walk. No. You got the – Seahawks have the leverage. Tag his ass.
2: I don't know. That that just – you get into a bad situation there. It, it gets acrimonious. You lose any kind of long-term leverage like Mr. Capman over here uh, – I bet you could tell me a little bit about the advantages of an extension, right? And you lose all that. Uh, so I don't know if that's really as much leverage. Like, you could, you could, you know, get into, you know, a, a big wrestling match with him over it, and you could tag him, and sure, you'll keep him around, but is he going to be dissatisfied? Is, what is that going to do for your cap? I mean, I don't know. It makes sense. Or we could pay him. You could pay him. They're, I just don't think, I, I don't think they are. I don't think they're going to pay him. Yes. If they're going to pay him, this wouldn't be a thing. Yeah.
1: I think they're scared of the Cam Chancellor situation, to be honest. Wouldn't you be? I, it's, it just feels like they're different players in terms of, like, I, I, I don't know. I, I know the Cam next stinger is, you know, pretty random, but.
2: Cam was showing signs of decline, though. That's the thing. Like, beyond the injuries. Like, they've both had some injuries now, right? But, like, Earl Earl's still... Earl been pretty freak, though. Like, Cam injured Earl, didn't he? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, this was not, like, Earl just running and he tore his ACL. Yeah. Like Cam collided with him midair.
0: Um, but Earl, Earl has now been injured two years in a row. Not, like, at the same level of significance. But he has, after not missing any games, he's missed games in each of the past two seasons. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, the health thing is still there, but Earl has come back from it, right? Like Cam got hurt a couple times, and then you could you could just tell that he just looked older. He looked slower, it, whether it was injuries or just wear and tear or just age or what. Like he looked like he was declining as a player. Earl has had injuries, but he looks like Earl when he's out there. He does, uh, no
0: doubt about. It. I thought he, I thought he had a strong year last year. Mm-hmm. Um, I also like, I I do not discount, and I never will him saying he was going to retire after he was um, injured the first time. That was real. No matter how much, you know, Pete Carroll and other people try to downplay it. Like Earl is not all in. Like he has, like he has married now and he has the rings and he's like, his motivation is, is I don't think something you can count on. And certainly to start screwing with him from a contract perspective, there's question about what's going to happen there. He's already also declared that he wants to play for another team at some point, you know, like there's a lot of question marks that as far as giving him a long-term deal, I would have, I would have pause about and his time horizon, like how long Ed Reed and those guys are good. We're top-notch safeties into their early thirties, you know, are the Seahawks going to be back to being a contending team by the time Earl is still, you know, around and will that have been money well spent? Or would you be better off, you know, getting what you can now and, and starting, you know, starting to build up and create some space for guys like Delano Hill and, and others to, to step forward. So, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I think that there's more reasons to potentially move on from Earl than to keep him. Um, and <laughs> I've certainly been of, the mind, they're like I don't think you're going to be a better team by doing that anytime soon. I think he's a you know generational safety, but um, my general look at, at when I see the Seahawks is they're not in rebuild, but they are in reset, and they need all the ammunition they can get to to try to start the next run. And I don't think the next run starts this year. I think the earliest it would start would be 2019, and it might really, realistically, be 2020 before they're really um, set to to contend again.
1: Uh, it's going to be fun to look back on this podcast when we're Super Bowl champions.
0: I, I I'd be, be happy phenomenal. about that. I, of all things to be wrong about, this would be one of them. <laughs> yeah. So, as far as like getting picks, uh, like I, I get it, I, I definitely do, and it's always been my general philosophy is accumulate picks, and and I, I value that. I'm still on team don't trade down in this case. Like I, I uh, who's your guy though?
2: Who's the guy that's worth it?
0: The guy that the guy that they pick that works out and is great. Like there's not. Uh, that I'm not that that's not what it's about for me Nathan it's not that there's a specific guy that that like has to be there for me it's 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 not going to stack up statistically other than if you look at players that are picked in the top 20 versus even 23 you know 21 through 32 um I do think there's some differences in terms of uh, ceiling over across history. And there's a lot of reasons that that might be the case. Um, it's just a gut instinct that, that, you know, we'll see what happens come, you know, th- no one expected Steve Hutchinson to be available when the Seahawks drafted him. He fell to them and they didn't necessarily even have a clear need, but, but that was great. And they, they found him. He was, I think actually 20, no, maybe he was 18 or 17. And it was, uh, Sean Alexander that was 22, but, anyway they're right around each other um so yeah it's just a gut it's just a gut instinct over years of watching this I feel like that that 18 is high and high enough that they could potentially get something that's really meaningful and kind of in the opposite I'm not seeing like some great value I'm sick of seeing them get these you know Above average starters. Like, I want to see that. I want to see them, you know, if anything, I'd rather them trade up and consolidate picks. If there's someone that they believe is a blue chip, go out and get them. Like, I come out, come away with one, one player, the quality of Cam Chancellor or Earl Thomas or Richard Sherman or Bobby Wagner or KJ Wright, or like come away with a Pro Bowler, one Pro Bowler from this draft. And, you know, I will think that will be more successful than coming away with. Three,
2: you know, average starters.
0: But what's the best
2: way to ensure that you get that Pro Bowl guy? Is it to to, to roll the dice once, or is it to roll the dice three times?
0: Yeah, I mean, I know, I I know exactly. We're going from a statistic standpoint. I could also come back with like percentage of of Hall of Famers that were out of the first round versus ones that were in um, every other round combined versus first rounders. Pretty big, pretty big disparity.
2: I, I, I mean, totally. Like, if this was any if this was a lot of other drafts, I think what you're saying would make sense, right? And there are guys that, like, you see sometimes that kind of get down towards Seattle where it's like, boy, that'd be interesting. Like, I think, Jeff, you had him taking Harold Landry, right? Uh, that's interesting. Um, Derwin James, that's that's where you start to th- – you know, those are guys that give you pause and stuff. But to not pick again until, like, 120, is it? 120, Something like- yeah. Yeah, that's – so that i agree that's with. so hard that i agree with i think they so that i guess that's the
0: combination for me is i'd want them to stick trade earl and get picks to to fill in that gap like i'd look for accumulating picks a different way um doesn't mean that they're gonna be able to do that um and if they can't it doesn't really matter what i think for a variety of reasons but uh most meaningfully because they're going to trade back i mean like the chances of them sticking where they are, like given their situation are super low. I, I'm totally aware of that. It's just not, it's not what I would do in this situation. And so what makes us, yeah. what makes this
3: draft so interesting from Seattle perspective, one of the areas that they've kind of got themselves in trouble in. And John admitted at that press conference the other day is they've really been drafting for team need. And I think that oh. led them to taking Jermaine Affetti up in the first round. And, why they've focused purely on Malik McDowell because they didn't get Calais Campbell and free agency, and why they traded for Sheldon Richardson to fill that spot. Right now, where the roster stands with all these one-year contracts, and they've got like 90 million in cap room next year, or maybe a hundred million, they need they need guys everywhere. They need new core players. So John was at his best when he was just drafting players, evaluating players, not trying to fill needs. And that's what makes I think for me, the why I want so many more picks is because they need help everywhere. They need help at all three levels on their defense. They need a wide receiver. They need a tight end. They need a running back. They need a left guard. They need a backup quarterback. So that's to me, that's what makes it so interesting because there's not one area you can really focus on because really, it's not
0: it. an argument that you can make the opposite argument. That yeah. They do like they, they do have needs at every position pretty much, even quarterback, kicker, punter, like every position they have a need. Um isn't that an argument to stay where you are and take the very highest guy in your draft board regardless of what position he is like isn't that a counter to to that point
2: I mean again not I think when you only have 7 picks in the draft when you have so many holes to fill like it'd be one thing if they had their full complement and you wanted to just take a guy high and hope that you just shut that need down for a while because you took a a blue chip guy right whatever that means um but they're gonna look at like trying to grab somebody 18 who you know like you know when listing off names it's like well harold landry okay well he's a defensive end you have two of those right like the chance that the guy that is available there that's a blue chipper that lines up with one of your needs like isn't a guarantee and then you don't have another chance to address any of those other positions. Like, And, you know, it's not just that there's needs across the team. They're, this, they're, I think the Seahawks have the smallest roster in the NFL right now, right? 66 players. They don't even have a full roster. Like, even in looking at how many they'll come away with, with you know, adding an undrafted free agency, like, they're a long ways away from building this roster. Mm-hmm. Uh, it It sucks because... I do the mock draft games and all that stuff. Right. And like you, you you sit there and your pick comes up at 18 and it's like, ah, I like a lot of these players. They're cool. But it's just like, okay, I could take the cool player now and then like pick through the, the, I don't want to say the dumpster. I do want to say the dumpster, but it's not (laughs) the dumpster. Right. But then, you know, go, uh, you know, go gambling, you know, a hundred and some odd picks later. And it's just, it, it, it's, it doesn't, lead to a satisfying draft it doesn't you know it, it doesn't help the team i don't think so it's it's, it's just tough also yeah. from a pure entertainment perspective i don't want to have to wait <laughs> long. i don't want to wait at all period yeah. i definitely don't want to wait that long this would be miserable as a seahawks fan if they just picked the 18 and it's like all right well i'll see you saturday so so let me let me just put a hypothetical out i think i know where you guys answer but i'm
0: curious two scenarios. One, the Seahawks actually package picks, trade up into the top 10, pick somebody scenario. Number two, not talking about likelihood. I'm just talking about how you'd feel about it. Scenario two, they trade down and add, let's say two, third round picks, not a second, but two, third round picks. Um, So they move, they move back into the twenties with their first and they, they somehow they get two third round picks for that or a third and a fourth. Which scenario would you be more excited about? Don't think just which, which would you be like, which would you be more excited about? Excited?
1: I think it's the first one, but I don't know if that's the rational, (laughs) the rational hope. Uh, You know, if they, if they trade up you, it better be a blue chip player and somebody they absolutely love. So the first one would be really exciting to see John move up for somebody. Oh my god, that'd be that'd be crazy to see see the Seahawks do that. But if you're
2: sitting there and like the draft's at seven and all of a sudden you see that logo switch to the oh! Seahawks. Right? <laughs> right. That'd be amazing. And it would give me my it would probably like they just traded their entire draft for somebody and it'd give me my weekend back. I mean, that's not all bad. <laughs>
1: And Barkley's still available at 7.
2: Yeah. <laughs> oh,
0: my God. Be
1: oh, boy.
0: I would pay good money. I might turn our donation next year to whoever could make that happen. Uh, you Just imagine? to see Nathan's face. Oh.
2: Uh, but the amazing thing is they would take I, – I, I... <laughs> somebody else and everyone would be mad analytics twitter would be mad because they traded up running backs matter twitter would be furious because they pass on a generational talent can we stop saying generational talent i'm ranting today let's we can't have generational talents every year that's not how <laughs> generations work <were. laughs>
3: what about the generational guard
0: you know i would actually uh, that would be you a, think of will hernandez uh, he's at eighteen, good.
3: yeah, at eighteen. I, I like Will Hernandez. He's the, he reminds me of Mike Ayupati a lot, who Solari coached in San Francisco. But I don't know if you could just take Will Hernandez and then just leave that hole in your draft. I don't know if I'd rather
0: just trade down and try to get maybe Isaiah Wynn. Which you gotta be that's the careful like you can't keep compounding errors like right like I know. we we like we blew the McDowell pick, you know whether for a variety of reasons took that compounded it by trading it, <laughs> trading our next, you know, years pick and other shit. And, and now we have a gap there, then compounded that by, you know, trading and getting rid of another round pick for like, so now you have that gap you've made that those are sunk costs. And so now you get into a situation of all right, well, so now there's a player that works for us. And we, we really believe in but you know, we did kind of leave this, this gap. We kind of screwed this. So we, we got to make sure we move back and fill those spots or else, you know, we won't be... De- like, to me, at some point, it's like a sequence of, like... If,
2: if, if, if Hernandez is
0: there and you think he can help your team, you believe in him, like, freaking take him and, and...
2: But what if you think Austin Corbett's just as good?
0: Well, if you think he's just as good... Or then... what if you
2: think that Austin Corbett's almost as good? No, I'm close. not interested in almost as good they're close. I'm done with get another second round
0: pick not interested in almost as good I'm interested in get me the best player that you think has the best chance of being uh, a, a Difference making starter for your team and if the it, I mean to make your point Nathan if, if you're like, I think this guy can be A decent starter and there's another guy that can be a decent starter then I'm okay, but if it's like this guy He's, he's a, you know, he's a 70 on the scale and this other guy's a 60. I, I'm sticking, I'm sticking with, with, even if it's a minor grade change, like, you know, or a relatively minor, like if you're, if all the work you did to get up the draft tells you that this guy's better, I would stick with that. And, and um, I know, I'm sure analytics, Twitter, including one of the ones that's on here is like, dude, you don't know. Humans can't pick shit. Like, you need more picks. That's not how it works. You have too much confidence in your ability to choose. I listen to analytics people all day at work. I get it. I get it. I know the science behind it. I think it's imperfect. I think even analytics people are imperfect. So,
2: but that's the point. That's the whole point. We're all imperfect. Yes. So, like, first of all, there's error bar- bars on all these grades, right? And yes. then I think grading, the way grading, like, it, it it gives you like this definitive like this person is better than this person this person's uh 5.9 and this person's a 5.6 but we're talking about probabilities right like the the 5.9 maybe he's a 5.9 because he has a bigger you think he has a bigger chance of like hitting when he if he hits it he's gonna be really he's really gonna hit he's gonna be he's gonna be cool and you're gonna be jacked and pumped about him right but <laughs> You know, but then the probability that he he flames out is higher than the 5.6, right? And so it's like, uh, it, this is all kind of, uh, I don't know. It, it's all imperfect and it's all about probabilities and there's error bars on these grades. And so, yeah, if you think Will Hernandez is a Pro Bowl top type player and you think Austin Corbett is a solid starter type player, you know, that's a clear distinction, right? But if, yeah. if you're thinking, um, uh, you know, Will Hernandez is really, really good, and Austin Corbett is really good. Then that's not really, like, go get another player who could be really good too, and get two really goods instead of one really, really good. But look at, but look at how that play. I mean, to Jeff's point earlier, that's
0: what they did last year. That's exactly what they what did. What last if they had year. just they that with those like, third-round picks, you want another Tedrick Thompson? Is that what you're after? Like, like look what they did with you know.
2: Trading hey, back and Tedrick Justin Thompson ridden. is a kick-ass special teams player. I've been told. <laughs> the best. He recovered a fumble last I year. Want a new best special teams player on the team. Yeah, I, give me, give me all the Tedrick Thompson, Thompsons. Dude,
0: Nathan, you I almost, I almost had Tedrick Thompson call you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't know how that would turn out. I felt like that I could turn been out, for both of us really ridiculous. quickly. So I let uh, it go. I let it go. <laughs> so maybe next year.
2: I would have been very Um, polite and respectful.
0: But seriously though, right? Like I, I don't, I don't know that the volume pick thing has worked well for the Seahawks necessarily in this, in the third, you know, in the third round, like second round, they've been relatively solid other than the McDowell pick. Um, almost every second round pick they've made, I think has panned out all the way back to golden Tate. Um, even Justin Justin Britt was a second round pick and he eventually panned out. Right. Um, First round. I just haven't had them. Value wise, I don't know that they've gotten many first round picks that were really first round grades. I mean, let's go through it real quick. I mean O'Kung and Earl, I don't think it, I think both those guys are first round grades. Bruce, I don't think Bruce was a first round. I don't think he's turned out to be a first round grade. Would you guys James Carpenter? James Carpenter, I don't think, is a first round grade. Mm. Like Fetty definitely isn't. Ugh. They have struggled in the first round. I mean that's that that to me is a stronger argument about like, well, they haven't really nailed the first round either. But every pick from eighteen and above that they've made the <laughs> first round has panned out pretty well. I mean, at least Bruce, you know, he's maybe not a first round pick grade, but he's he's got more sacks than almost anyone
2: else that came out that year. Yeah, I mean and, the thing with some know, of this is like like Jermaine Fetti, they traded back and got him, right? Yeah. Oof. Yeah. But would you have rather them sat where they were and took him like they did with James Carpenter? Like, uh, I mean, tra- we can't just assume that they could have traded back and, and you know, you got to get people to agree to the trade and all and who knows if somebody else loved James Carpenter. But it seems realistic that maybe they could have dropped back a few picks and still gotten James Carpenter. Wouldn't that have been better? Like with Malik, right? Obviously, the Malik situation is uh, a freak situation, and we probably shouldn't draw too many conclusions from that. Um, there's probably... Internal stuff that the team should review in terms of how they assess character, or and I think that's such a stupid thing, but maybe how they assess risk at least. Um, maybe there were other things that they knew that maybe would have given them an idea that this could have happened, although again, total freak thing. Um, but uh, the, the, the point being, you know, aren't you at least glad that they traded back before they took them? They could have sat where they were, and they could have took him. They well, could have they traded back a few times, right? And and they could have sat in any one of those places and still taken him, assuming that like obviously they liked him. Who knows where he was relative to other players that were still alive? But like it's better to trade back and try to still get these guys when you're in these ranges that all these guys have similar grades.
0: I, so here's the thing, though, Nathan. Like I get that, but I also want to make sure that analytics Twitter is acknowledging that is what's happened, and even the picks that have been acquired from trading back haven't generally worked out
2: so like but i mean draft picks generally don't work out
0: i'm just saying though that it's not like you got to go with you know that, that that that's just that's the way to do it and it's worked well you look back at the 2012 draft they had i think it was the 12th pick maybe the 11th the 12th it pick to start with i think it's 12 yeah and, and i know they wanted keekly and keekly went nine and and they traded back and I, they trade back at least once. They might have traded back twice to 15 to draft Irvin. Guess who went at 12? Fletcher Cox. Um, and then Michael Brockers went at 14. And you know, like these are those are real things that happen. Maybe they don't go exactly to analytics. Maybe those guys weren't on their boards and were not who they would have picked in those situations. It's I don't know. Nobody knows for sure. I, I guess what I what I always just rail against a little bit is. If you go by the numbers it's always going to work out because guess what humans are still going to make the goddamn draft pick like wherever that pick happens there's humans making those decisions based on grades and scouting and all these imperfections and if and if you are not good at it you're going to be not good at it wherever you make that pick so it's not it should work out statistically that you're better off no matter what your whatever your level of grading and scouting ability is to have more picks no doubt Hundred percent agree with that. Get it, (laughs) but to just say that that's always the way to go and that um, you know there's never a reason to stick where you are and take you know take the best player available there, I think that's just myopic. I think I think it's missing the 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 fact that there are just so many human factors and so many variables at play.
3: I think what made last year so frustrating is that they already did have the draft capital. They were pretty loaded last year.
0: Yeah,
3: and they got too cute. And that did hurt them. That's why this year is kind of a different scenario where they kind of they have that huge hole in their draft, and that's why it's hard not to want to move down at this point, unless someone really good fell to them. But the last two years they were loaded with draft capital. They they really positioned themselves well. Last well. year was such a
0: good time to do it, right? There was that was such a stacked draft. I mean, look at the talent that came out of that draft, and look, it was like kneeling in the like in the Kenai River. During, you know, the red run and, and 100,000 fish coming through and you come out with one. Like, came out with Shaq Griffin. like
2: Whoa. Yo, yo,
1: yo. No Shaq Griffin hate on this podcast.
0: That's not Wait. hate. We came out
1: with no, one. No, no. Okay. what Nathan was going to say. No, 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 no,
0: no.
2: What was he going to say? Quil's oh, great. Quil's great. Quill's great. Quill's great. Uh, Posick looks okay. He, oh, he can still work out. It, uh, it was amazing un- how bad of a year he had, but continue. Naz Nas looks okay. Nas looks like he could play. We don't know what what they are gonna get at a Hill and Darbo. Uh, I mean, uh, I think you. I think they they got one stud and two probable starters. Like that's okay for third round. Yeah, that's great for third round.
1: So it sounds um, like maybe John look, had a really look, good
0: track. look. Look, look everywhere around those picks. Look everywhere around those picks, and tell me if you still feel the same way.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean, I'll I'll pull it up right now, but I'm gonna uh, do the same thing. Chris Carson might have been a good pick. Mm. Yeah, oh yeah, Carson might about, be yeah, okay I'm about the, the yeah. Hey, I'm the just density talking. at the beginning. No, this was this was this is not looking like a bad draft at all. Though, like, I, I definitely don't think you can just say that all they came away with is Quill. Like, yeah, that's their one. That's probably their 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 big uh, their big acquisition. That's probably going to be the one that you know really like has a chance at making Pro Bowls. But
0: right. So, I mean, we know we know for a fact that they passed on. Essentially, and we know this story in the first round. So Tack McKinley, Tredavious White, Taco Charlton, uh, T.J. Watt, Ruben Foster, Ryan Ramchick, Kevin King, Cam Robinson, all those guys.
2: Lost those guys. Um, okay, but this, I mean, I guess White's okay. They don't tend to like to take corners there, so who knows if they're even on the board. I, I, I don't know that we're going to look back on a lot of these guys. I mean, we'll see with Ramchick and Robinson. And you can play a lot of what ifs there as if they take one of those guys. And then how does that change the Brown thing? But, I mean, uh, I, I don't know. McDowell, is, McDowell was considered in that range, like, quality-wise, right? I mean, we could very easily be talking about McDowell as, you know, a big part of this team.
0: Yeah, that would be a nice conversation. Yeah, I, I'm not seeing like as much uh, total misses in the third round, although I have to admit um, I'd have to go back and, and double-check some of these players and how they played.
2: So they took Quill, right? And I don't think anyone's going to complain about that. They took him over John Johnson, Jordan Lewis, Montavis Adams, and Cameron Sutton. I, I don't think anyone is going to be able to about that. Right. Now they take Delano Hill uh which is a, a, a big TBD right i took him over Galladay, who was interesting but ultimately didn't do a whole lot last year um Tans- Tankersley, who um didn't do a lot you know we're, we're looking at a lot of TBDs we're t- you know chad williams Rizul douglas yep. um john o. smith brendan langley and then they take naz right they take naz over Trey Hendrickson, um and then cj bethard the quarterback I
0: mean, cj bethard could have you know, completely changed the Seahawks last year.
2: Yeah. Yeah. He could have, he
0: could have made them a much worse. He could have been their new GM. He would have brought his, his dad with him, and it would have been like huge.
2: And then you have a Darbo who they took over Kendall Beckworth and Vince Beagle or Beagle and Jaleel Johnson. Um, You know, some of these other interesting DD Westbrook, but like they didn't, I mean, Eddie Jackson, Eddie taking Darbo over Jackson and then turning around and taking, Oh no, 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 They took Tedrick. They took Tedrick right before Eddie Jackson. That one's tough, but uh, we don't need to believe her that. <laughs> <laughs> well, they took all of those guys over Eddie Jackson. They did. They took all of those guys over Eddie Jackson and, you know, Naz and Quill. That's probably fine. Uh, we'll see on Hill and Darbo. Uh, and, you know, we'll see on, we'll see on Tedrick.
0: Yeah. Tariq Cohen. I know you would have been a big fan of his, but I like
2: Tariq Cohen. Uh, you know, Tariq Cohen's all right. He's a fun player. He's a fun player. Yeah. I don't know. Can he catch passes? I assume he can because he's small and yeah, shifty. Small. Oh, yeah, fifty-three balls, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Jeff, sorry. I mean, we we can go on forever. What what no, what, no. what else do you want to <laughs> do? You
2: want me to continue listing our fourth round picks in the? I was enjoying cause... it actually. I could do that all night. <laughs> I,
0: I like. I, this is the part of the conversation I get into because we're 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 geeks. We're football geeks. Yeah.
3: So, I think, I still think the the problem area is the, is the McDowell. It's not that the where they did in the bottom the, the third round was great. Griffin performed like a first round pick. I think NFL dot com redid the draft. They always do that, and they gave him to Seattle at twenty six. So that was a great pick. But yeah, the area they really still is if you look after the pick they trade down at twenty six. There's Tradavius White, Taco Charlton, EJ Watt, Ryan Ramchick, Kevin King, Cam Robinson. That's that's where they missed, not the third round. Uh,
0: I don't want to hear that list again. I just said it, and it, it's like it just punches me in the gut every time. Like, give me almost any of those players.
3: Yeah, because say you get those tackles, do you trade for Dwayne Brown, do You Now do you have your yeah. third round pick? Uh, but I, I really like the Dwayne Brown thing. I think that's one of the reasons I'm actually excited about Seattle. I think no one's talking about him. But do you guys think they pick tomorrow?
0: No. What? You don't okay. think they pick at all tomorrow?
2: Uh, it's only I one it. round. It's only one round. Doubt it. Uh, we'll. I, I kind of think a quarterback's going to sneak down to him, um, and we'll see if any of those teams with a bunch of ammo um, in the second round want to come up and get one. If you know the Giants go Saquon at two, which is what they're rumoring to do, uh, then they're a candidate to jump up. Um, who knows what the Browns will do? You know, it's not crazy to think that they could come away with some with like a Saquon Chubb 1-4, uh, and then maybe they're looking to jump up and grab, you know, somebody that slips down, a quarterback that slips down to Seattle. So there's just so much in the, the second round, so many quarterback needy teams. Um, Denver, I think, you know, they got uh, uh, Case, right? Case Keenum? But, Ooh. yeah, obviously still in need of a QB of the future. So, um, and they've made that deal with Denver before. So I think they end up, Getting it. And, and then there's always opportunity too that they trade down five six picks and they trade down five six more picks and so I think odds are they end up not picking it all tomorrow.
1: It'd be fun to see them pick in the mid twenties slide back once.
3: Yeah, yeah, they have one first round pick in five years. It's it's crazy.
0: I'll give you an if 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 then here it's if 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 they trade Earl tomorrow, um, then. They're gonna pick. If if not, then they probably won't. What if they trade?
2: Oh, go ahead.
3: I just why are the Cowboys the only team that got mentioned for Earl? Does no one else want Earl? Like why aren't the Bucks interested in Earl? Or why aren't the Browns interested in Earl? Like why is it only Dallas? Just because he asked to play there?
2: Yeah. And everybody loves America's team. But there have been rumors about Tampa that I think Tampa's just in a weird spot for it to happen. Although their second round pick makes more sense than Dallas' second round pick.
0: Yeah, I, I guess I would just say, like, did you know Percy Harvin was going to get traded to, you know, uh, Buffalo, Buffalo when he left um, or whatever it was? Like, the Jets. The Jets. Yeah, that's right. The Jets. Like, um, the Seahawks keep things pretty quiet. Um, Cowboys are the ones that have obvious ties. So that's what everyone's talking about there. There could absolutely be other places that they're having discussions with. Um, but I, I've i – they generally – it's not common to trade players, you know, during the draft. I mean, we saw it with, like, Leon um, – God, what was his name from – uh Washington? Yeah, Leon Washington from the Jets. Like, we saw that in 2010 and a couple other things like that. But Lendell White – um, but I just have this feeling that tomorrow is kind of the make or break day for whether they're going to keep Earl. Cause once they get past this draft, I don't see a reason why Earl wouldn't <laughs> be on the team uh, next year. Um, and then you're in this situation of, okay, now what, you know, are you going to walk away with him? For, with him? Are you going to give him a contract? All that kind of stuff comes into play. So um, I think tomorrow's
2: the D day for that. And, yeah, if they sit at 18 and they take somebody, uh, then I think it's red alert for a, a pending Earl trade. Like it, it could happen before tomorrow's draft, but if, if, if it doesn't happen and then they sit at 18 and they take somebody, something's going on. What's if, if they pick at 18?
0: Who and, and not like some, you know, what position do you hope they pick?
2: Not necessarily a specific player. It's just going to be about who falls to them. Because if you're sitting at 18, it's the whole blue chip thing. You think somebody that didn't have any business getting to you got to you. And then it's just a question of who is that? Um, You know, it's probably not Mike McGlinchey or a Connor Williams who are good players, but probably not blue chip players, right? Maybe it's Harold Landry. Maybe it's Derwin James. Maybe... uh, Fill in, um, so not for, for, for all the listening patented. audience that doesn't
0: know all their position groups. You, you named a safety yeah. and go go ahead.
2: Yeah. So McGlinchey and Connor Williams are, t- are the two probably top tackles, uh, offensive tackles. Um, they look like good, not great players. Um, uh, Derwin James is uh, a, the safety out of Florida State. He's uh, kind of a, uh, imagine maybe like a Taylor Mays, except good um is kind of what he is so he looks he looks kind of special um and, and he he's a guy that you could see maybe seattle really really liking um harold landry is uh, cliff averill type um uh but i think has a ceiling that's higher than him um and he's a guy that could slip uh it, it'd be kind of surprising if he did um but he had a little bit of a rough twenty seventeen. Was dealing with some injuries and stuff. Was much better in twenty sixteen. Um, but uh, definitely looks like you know maybe the top end prospect in this draft, uh, other than Chubb, probably I guess. Um, so yeah. So I don't really know who the other guys are. I, I haven't I haven't watched a lot of these guys because they're not supposed to get done in Seattle. But like people rave about M- Minka Fitzpatrick. Mm-hmm. He's a, a a DB, kind of a nickel safety um, guy out of Alabama. Um, Roquan Smith, he's another guy that, like, yeah, maybe uh off-ball linebacker falls. That's not crazy to think about. But then you're talking about looking at an off-ball linebacker. And, yeah, he looks pretty special. But 18, don't pick again until 120 special? Oh, uh, no. Come on. If
0: Roquan Smith felt <laughs> there's no way he's not worth taking. That guy's a monster.
2: I mean, yeah, Aaron Curry was, too. Like, <laughs> 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 like let's <laughs> – I don't know. I mean, there's he looks great, like no doubt. Um but positional right uh, value there seems pretty low. Um, and then I mean, you have you have a position that like
0: regardless of player, you know, that if they stuck there, you're just like, oh man, I'd love it if they just got a player that was awesome in this position.
1: Defensive back, I'd love to see a nasty trash talking corner or a safety back back there. Derwin James would be
0: awesome at 18.
1: yeah i don't think he's gonna fall to 18 i think i i think i saw a, some tweet rumors earlier today that there is like he's probably gonna go top 10 which makes sense i think um so if he fell to 18 oh boy uh goodbye earl thomas just kidding didn't actually say that but draft derwin james how about <laughs> you yeah
0: uh
3: i think pass rusher is the area there i think frank clark's near the end of his deal i, I assume they're going to extend him but Deion Jordan, they have, but who who knows? He might have been a flash in the pan. I think that's an area they've shown they like to draft early. I think there are some guys, Nathan mentioned Landry, who I gave them. He does remind me a lot of April. and I think if they had those picks, he could be pretty good value. Marcus Davenport has the toolsy guy. Kind of reminds me of Ziggy Ansah. That's I think,
0: who CJ likes, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: Yep. He's He's a really intriguing prospect, but he's very raw and – 2018 is going to be a learning curve for sure, especially against the NFC West. I think I have been made an interesting point because the Seahawks have never taken a corner higher than Shaq Griffin before the last draft is ever higher in the fourth round. And There's a rumor today that went around from uh, Tony Pauline who's been pretty good at nailing Seattle's interest that they're targeting a corner from Colorado named Isaiah Oliver in a move-down scenario. And there was a lot of rumors that they really won Kevin King last year and that double move-down that didn't work out. So corner's a position to watch uh, i think there's a clear hole beside shack or quill i don't know what his nickname is um and they haven't got byron maxwell you back you
2: gotta get used to, to calling him quill because when they draft Shakeem right you can't say shack anymore exactly two- I, you gotta specify
3: exactly you solved it right there uh, I, i'm all i'm fully on board with that if they can find a way to get him that, that would be exciting but, yeah, I think corners want one to watch. They have a clear hole in their roster. Uh, Dante Johnson signed a nothing deal. He could easily get cut. Um, they need another corner. And I think Isaiah Oliver there's, fits their their mold. Like, people keep giving him Josh Jackson, the guy from Iowa, but he doesn't have that Seattle look of a corner. I don't see them using 18 on him. So if they move back somewhere 29 to 34, I think that might be corner.
0: Hmm. Uh, what is exciting
1: Position too is I love to I love discussing like the salary discrepancy between like an elite corner you know uh, of the position groups for example like you know corners are super cheap obviously in the draft but when they get extended for elite you know if they're elite they get paid huge coin so to get like a really good corner on a cheap four year maybe five year contract if you select in the first round uh, love the thought of that.
0: Yeah, uh, safety. I would, I would much prefer them to find another safety. I, I'm like the only person that isn't like super excited about the Bradley McDougal deal. Like, I'm fine that he's back, are but excited he, about that. What's that? People are excited about the McDougal deal. Like, oh, they're super like a, excited. Yeah, they're, they're like, like, oh my dude. god, he's he was a he was a steal and and you know really? he was a solid player when he played last year. And I'm like, yeah, he was totally solid. He's a great third safety. Um,
2: I don't want him as
0: a starter. Like if that's your top end and you know, you already know what he is. He's not going to like become better, um, than, than what he's been so far. So, you know, I'm personally like, I'm like, all right, now he's blocking me from learning about Delano Hill and whether he has a higher upside, you know, whether or not he's worse as a player right now, I don't care. Like I want upside. I want someone that can be be great. So like, I, I would love them to, to find a safety derwin james is is definitely an exciting name doesn't seem like that's going to work out but weird thing for me is like uh you know i am very curious about the first offensive lineman that they pick with mike Solari, and really the first offensive line they, they pick without mike or since tom cable left um what does this front office look like when they don't have the specter of you know the worst offensive line personnel whisperer you know in
2: football um, leaning over their shoulders I mean my hot take here is I think Austin Corbett's is going to be their first pick and I, I think they're going to pick him a lot sooner than people think I, I think people kind of I, I don't know it, it varies so much but I, I can see them trading down early second and then taking Austin Corbett with their first pick uh, I think he, I mean I really like him, um, and he seems like he could line up really well with what they want. Um, they he, uh, he'd play guard for them. Um, he's uh, he's that strong Mahler type. Um, he's uh, he's really cool though in that he's not a strong Mahler type like Jemaine Fetty, who is um, big and uh, as fast as you would expect him to be. Um, he's got a lot of snap and pop, and um, he strikes you. Um, and he plays uh he uh, he plays the path really well too um he's got good feet um, not tackle feet but good feet for a guard um, I think they're probably gonna love this guy uh, they've been linked to him um, he would slot right in as a starting guard um, which they need um, he fits the whole let's get back to running the ball thing that they want to do um, uh, I expect that they're gonna they're gonna like him a lot, and I'll be. I don't. Maybe if they don't try take him first overall, I mean, maybe I'm way off on where he ends up going. Um, but I'll be fairly surprised if they leave this draft without him.
3: Hmm. I like Billy Price too.
2: Yeah, that's no, the other I mean. one. Yeah, he's cool. I, I don't like him as much as um, Corbett, but Price is a uh, he's he's fun.
0: All right, let's wrap this up. Uh, there's, there's been a request for a food take from Evan before we, we leave, and you have given you plenty of time to think about this, Evan. So please, uh, please pass along a food take uh, that we can all react to. It's two and one. Number Look one. how proud he is. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. For people that are just listening on the, the audio <laughs> podcast, you're missing his face. Number one,
1: mustard is bad.
2: What kinds of mustard? All of it. Whoa.
1: All mustard is bad, number one. And number two, ketchup is highly overrated.
0: Uh, who who rates ketchup? It's like
3: Bradley McDougald. <laughs> <laughs> ketchup
2: so, is
1: amazing. What's no, wrong no, with no, you guys? I'm, I'm, let me clarify on ketchup, on my stance on ketchup. If yeah. it's given to me, I'll eat it. But I'm not going to go out of my way to ask for ketchup. If, you
2: get, if somebody puts a thing of fries down in front of you, yeah. and they, they ain't animal style or anything, they're just crinkle cut fries, and you got there's no ketchup, but you see, you're not going up and saying, do you have ketchup? Could I get some ketchup? No. You're just going to eat the fr- – Wasting my time. You're nah. a naked fry guy? Yeah. No, he's an animal style fry guy. Well, yeah, animal styles. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> I mean, that is, fries alone are really good. I don't know how your food takes never disappoint, Evan, but they are consistently just the worst. <laughs> <laughs> you don't I'll like stone ground, stone ground mustard? Honey I mustard? Ever, I don't think I've ever had What was the first one? Home ground? It's like the stuff, like when you get like, uh, if you go to like a, uh, if you get like traditional German food, it's like the, uh, like with your bratwurst or whatever. Yeah, so it's, it's got a little grit to it.
0: I'm with you, Evan. I, I actually like oh, other the, than the ketchup part, the, the mustard piece,
2: the spicy mustard stuff, the that you get with like the yeah, the fried the pork. It's horrible. What? What? what
0: about, like, a smoked meat sandwich. <laughs> you know, you know where you should add mustard though, Evan. Where? one place i like mustard egg what? salad oh or potato salad yeah th- that's a, that's a valid other place if, if you combine mustard with mayo in some way you may find some uh
2: some happiness there so give it a shot maybe
0: <laughs> <laughs> sound All right, guys, we're
2: like five minutes away from evan tweeting out that he's never eaten mustard before though <laughs>
0: <laughs> awesome hey guys it's been great uh we'll get back together next week to talk about what happened in this draft and uh probably talk more about schedule we were going to talk about that tonight but uh we had too much fun talking about all this other stuff so take care and uh go hawks want more great seahawks talk of course you do check out the pedestrian podcast it's the official podcast of the uk seahawkers hosted by Stuart Court, Adam Nathan, and Ross Bell. It's fun. It's British. You get accents. You get Seahawks. You get football. It's definitely worth it. They're at pedestrianpodcast.podbean.com, or you can find them on iTunes. Check them out.